Today we'll be continuing our series on sanctification with a message on the role of the Word of God in sanctification from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 17 through 21. Hear the Word of the Lord. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Good morning, Christ Church family and guests. I welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Grant just affirmed, we are in part two of a series on sanctification based upon the Word of God. So let's review for just a moment what we learned last week. We learned that the scriptures speak uh, to the process and the work of God doing uh, a work of sanctification in our lives, making us holy. You may remember John Wesley said the people are not happy because the people are not holy. So we learned last week that sanctification is a gift of the fullness of our salvation. When we put faith in Jesus Christ, that's not an arrival, that's a new beginning. And it not only has implications for eternity, but there are rich and vibrant, full orb implications for our lives now. And we learn that sanctification is not works righteousness. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. We learn that sanctification is the gift of being made perfect in love as the love of God fills our hearts. So today, we're going to look in this five-part series at the role of the Word of God, the truth of God, in developing us in Christ's likeness. When I turned 16 years old, and got my driver's license. When I got home, my, my father looked at me and said, here are the keys. And go ahead, take the family car for a spin. And I just, thank you, Dad. And I took the keys and got in the car, cranked it, and, and living in Gunnersville, Alabama, and uh, I'll share with you, right or wrong, I was possessed with one feeling in that moment pity on the city of Gunnersville. And I, I remember when I, I pulled out on a highway, highway, highway 79, um, and, and as I began to go down the highway, I, I thought, I bet this car will go 120 miles an hour. But every time I would start to press the gas pedal, I pictured my father sitting next to me, saying to me over and over and over when I had my learner's permit, riding in the car with me, with him, and, and him, him saying, son, I, I love you more than anything in the world. Your mom, your, 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 your brother, I love you, and I, I'm investing in you, and I'm pouring into you and I'm giving you instruction regarding boundaries as you drive because I love you and every time I be would begin to press the gas pedal I was I was reminded of my father's love 
And so when we hear the words that Grant read this morning around being made holy in the truth, let's remember that the Son of God is praying this. He's praying this for you. And I just ask you to sense the love of God. You, you can hear a message that deals with truth and, and, it, and we can just make truth this, this, this objective thing detached from the reality of the love of God that's investing in you, that metaphorically is right there at your side, not only in the car, but in life. Behold, I'm with you always. And so as you hear these words, hear these words in those lenses, loved ones. And so Jesus is praying for us, sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. He goes on to to pray, I don't ask just for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their words. And so I, I wanna submit to you on the front end this morning that God does not sanctify or make us holy or develop us merely by our reading the word, hear me closely, loved ones, but by our allowing the word of God to read us. There's a distinction between reading the word and, 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 and taking authority over it and hearing the word and the word taking loving authority in our own lives. And so let's ask the question together, how does God's, God's word, how does this living word work in our sanctification? Well, first, let's begin here, very basic. Number one, the truth begins to matter to you. What is true matters to you. And, and the scriptures illustrate for us that it's possible even in religious systems, loved ones, when we're doing religious things, for it to merely be outward and it not be inward. Let me illustrate this right out of the New Testament, Matthew 21, 23 through 27. So Jesus, here's how this, this scene, listen to how this goes down. And, and when he, he, that is Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and they said this, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, here's what I want you to know. Jesus asked them to take a stand on a simple truth claim. Either John's baptism is from heaven or it's human, it's from man. It was their idea. Declare what you believe, just take a stand. And so they ponder and you see that happening in the text. And so they reason if we say this is John's baptism is from heaven, then we will be shamed because Jesus will show that we are hypocrites. We don't act like we believe that. We will be shamed before the crowds. And so if we say that John's baptism is for men, we may be harmed by the crowd. In other words, they all believe that he was a prophet. There could be mob violence. So since we don't want to be shamed and since we don't want to be mobbed, we won't take a stand. We'll just simply say, we don't know. Now, loved ones, here is the way an outwardly religious person, and may I be, I think I need to use stronger words here. Here is the way 
a depraved mind works. They are thinking carefully. If they say that this is such and such, well, th- then, then they're afraid of certain things that will happen. And if they say this is such and such, then something else will happen. They're, they're reasoning very carefully here. And, and the question is, is it because the truth is at stake? No. It's because their skin is at stake. And their ego is at stake. And what's happening is they don't want to be harmed and they don't want to be shamed. The truth doesn't matter. I matter. Remember when Jesus said this, beware when all people speak well of you. And Jesus responds to this attitude. Notice verse 27, how he responds to this cavalier attitude around the truth. He says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, Jesus, the son of God is declaring, I won't deal with people who treat truth in that way. Jesus abominates that kind of arrogant, cowardly prostituting of the precious reality of truth. So let's affirm a couple of principles just in light of what we're seeing in the scripture. First of all, the the principle that in salvation, here it is, taking truth seriously is inseparable from saving faith. But the principle in sanctification goes like this, not taking truth seriously is impossible for sanctifying faith. You see, God does sanctify us and Jesus is affirming as he's praying for us that there's a relationship between your development and the truth of God. God sanctifies us one of the ways, and Jesus is affirming it, is through his living word. Now, let, 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 me, let me, sometimes I come over here when I want to talk to you. Have you noticed that? Because of our fallen nature, there are times where we see things as we are. And not really as they are, but as we are. Explain. Somebody says something that offends us, our feelings are hurt. And we see things as we are. Because as we are in our fallen nature, because of our pride, which is symptomatic of our fallen nature, we pick up an offense. And in that offense, what can happen is that offense can lead us to a place of bitterness and resentment. And we begin to build a wall with someone. And we begin to see them not as one who is loved by the creator of the universe, we begin to see them in the smallness of who we are, in our fallenness, in the lens of where they've hurt us or wounded us, and we can take a well-rounded human being and begin to reduce them to this one lens of what they've said about us, what they've done to us. We see things as we are. Whereas in the Lord's Prayer this morning that we prayed together, we were invited by the revelation of the word of God to see things as they are, really are. And that is, Lord, I'm in need of mercy. Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those, what does it say? Anybody know? Who sin against me. We, 
there's a distinction in seeing things as we are in our fallen nature versus seeing things as they really are, as they're defined by our Creator in a way that we as captives get set free and are conformed all the more to the life-giving nature of the life of God. You and I, we were not designed to be unforgiving or resentful or bitter because this is not the character and nature of God. God on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm convinced, loved ones, that this is why Jesus is praying for us. He knows the pull of the world. He knows the tug of the distortions in our fallen nature that, that pull at us to see things as we are rather than seeing things as they really are. And as we're being developed as followers of Jesus, as sanctification is happening in our Christian life, the truth begins to matter to you because you recognize that really it is the truth that sets us free. Secondly, what we begin to see right out of this passage is that the truth also matters for the sake of others. Do you, do you see this in the text? Jesus is praying for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. In fact, this is reiterated in verse 18 and in other places. I, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. And what Jesus is leading us to is the life-giving power of Christ in you, the love of God in you, the truth of God in you, not only for you, but for the sake of what's being expressed through you and the way you relate to your husband or your wife, the way you relate to your children, the way you care about the poor, the way you care about unreached people group, as Grant referred to earlier in the prayer this morning. It's, it's, that it's not just about me, it's about others. Sanctify, do a work of development in them, oh God, in a way that they are developed in the truth, but also it not only blesses them, but blesses other people in and through them. So there was this mother preparing breakfast for her two boys, Kevin and Ryan, two young boys, and the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. And, uh, the argument began to get a little bit intense. And so the mother saw it as a teaching opportunity. And so she put, set her boys down, asked them to be, be quiet at the table. And he said, and she looked at them and said, boys, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. And you know, are you listening, Kevin and Ryan? Let my brother have the first pancake and I can wait. Well, when she finished talking, the two boys just sat there silent for a moment. And then five-year-old Kevin spoke up and he turned to his younger brother and he said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> but loved ones, that's it. Romans 8, 28, 29, we're all being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what Jesus is praying for here. You be Jesus, not just for your own sake, but to take on the heart of God for others. This is, this is you realize how significant this is, particularly when we're in an age in Western culture where so much of the culture has become cynical about church and God. I just remind you, you're the light of the world. 
city set on a hill can't be hidden. It's, it's truth in you, what God's developing in you, not just for you, but for the sake of others. And then thirdly, what we notice in this text, and we won't get to cover it all this morning, but the truth, it's, it, it's not a static thing. The, the truth of God continues to wash you. Now, this reference of Jesus talking about the sanctifying work of the word of God, the, the truth of God. This is not isolated in the words of Jesus. This is found in the Old Testament. This is found in the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, when the apostle Paul is reminding us that marriage is a really an illustration of a far deeper reality. It's an icon. Marriage between a man and a woman is an icon of Jesus and his bride. And, and when he's teaching this, listen to what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then notice this. I love the so that's of scripture. That he might sanctify her. Here it is again. Having cleansed her, and notice this unique nuance, by the washing of the water with the word. Huh. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. Now, we all know, we've learned, I, I know we've, many of you have been walking with Christ for years and you are clearly aware, the scriptures teach that it's the atonement of Jesus that cleanses our sins. We're going to affirm this in Holy Communion in just a moment. And, and so we recognize, Hebrews 9, 22, that, that we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We see also that the word's teaching that in our daily experience that the word of God, the truth of God has a strategic role in cleansing us. So Ephesians 5, 26, we're cleansed with the washing of the water by the word. And the imagery is God's word also has this cleansing power, whether you're a little kid, a teenager, or an adult. And it's likened to water because we take a bath to get clean. Okay. I know you're not writing that down, but you get it. Okay. So note that this is not found just in the New Testament. Psalm 119.9. How can a young person keep his way? By taking heed according to your word. This is what Jesus is teaching in the New Testament. Jesus affirms this in other places. John 15.3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So Paul says in Ephesians 5.26, that God may sanctify, cleanse the church with the washing of the water by the word. So we're, we get it. The, the, the word doesn't cleanse our sins. Jesus did that through his atoning work at the cross. But it does cleanse us in our experience. It cleanses and heals our spots and heals our wrinkles. That was the latter part of Ephesians 5.27. So I'm going to do something that's going to feel a little unorthodox and I'm going to quote Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith, okay? And I know that some of you are going, uh, Pastor, I don't know if that's legal here, but, but here it is. He's, he's got a song called Dream On. I'm going to sing that for you now. I, I am joking. <laughs> but there's a line in the song that goes like this. Every time I look in the mirror, all these lines on my face getting clearer. And this is what Paul writes about in a holy way in 2 Corinthians. Don't lose heart, Christian. Though the outer man, the outer person is decaying, yet the inner person is being renewed day by day. Now, how is that possible? 
Was it Shakespeare who said, man shall not live by bread alone, by three square meals a day alone? Was that Shakespeare? If it was Shakespeare, maybe we're okay. But if it were the king of kings and lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who gave you life and the very next air of breath we take into our lungs is only by his grace. If it were the king of kings and lord of lords who said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we understand the analogy that the Son of God is making when he's saying just as you take in daily nourishment of food that it should be our normal pattern that we are taking in daily nourishment from the cleansing work of the Word of God. I'm so reminded, I may have even shared this with you before, but Dr. Dennis Kenlaw in his later years saying these words, I have never known a godly man or woman who did not daily spend quiet time with God and his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It was Nancy Lee DeMoss who said, mark it down, your progress in holiness will never exceed your relationship with the word of God. It was Jerry Bridges who once said, discipline toward holiness begins with the scriptures, regular intake of the scriptures and applying them to our daily lives. And as we're being developed in our sanctification, loved ones, we have what I would call a wash cycle. And it goes like this. Read Bible, pray, obey God, trust God, repeat. Read God, read, read Bible, pray, obey God, trust God, repeat. Read Bible, pray, obey God, trust God, repeat. But I think it's also important that we affirm that the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible. Primary purpose of reading our Bibles is to know God, is to know God, loved ones is to know him. So there's this single mom. She's raising two boys. Her husband's left her. She's destitute. She has no job. And she's gotten a traffic ticket. And she goes and appears before the judge, and the judge finds her $50 for the violation, and she doesn't have the money. And she stands before the judge, and she pleads with him. Judge, I... Don't have a pity to my name right now. I've got two boys I'm trying to raise. My husband has walked out on me. I, I plead for mercy. And the judge looks at her and says, Ma'am, I took an oath. And I took that oath before God, put my hand on a Bible, that I would uphold the law. I would uphold the truth. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't dismiss this case. There's a consequence to your actions. And once again, she pleaded with him, judge, please have mercy. And the judge paused for a moment and he stood and he unzipped his robe and laid it on the chair, came down from the bench, pulled out his wallet and put $50 on the stand, walked back up to the bench, zipped his robe back in place and sat down and said, the fine is $50 and it has been paid in full. Case closed. 
Loved ones, the Son of God unzipped all his glory in heaven. And he came down. And he has paid the price for your sin and my sin. He took it on a cross. He paid the debt you and I could not pay. Which leads us to this axiom. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ and his atoning work in forgiving you, reconciling you to a loving and holy God. This, he, the person of Jesus, is the way to holiness. Sanctify them in the truth, O God. Your word is truth, not only for our sakes, but for the sake of all people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let the people of God say, Amen.